You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. And I'm Simon. And, oh, on the subject of In the Forest of the Night, before we get on to darker matters, Graham Boyd has written, Graham Boyd has written, Hey, Lee and the rest. <laughs> hey, Graham, you're the <laughs> my best friend. But you know why he's doing that? Why? Well, that's obviously irony, isn't it? Yeah, but why? You can't let me have one minute of, of triumph anywhere. Well, if you do something triumphantly, <laughs> you'll get it. But the point is, if he's being ironic by saying, hey, Lee and the rest, why would he have picked you? What's it about, this uh, email? <clears throat> he says, the Gaia are actually a pretty good answer to the Fermi paradox. Do you know what that is? No. Do you know what the Fermi paradox is? The Gaia are actually a pretty good answer to the Fermi paradox. In brief... The question, why haven't we seen aliens yet? I think this is a pretty good subject for discussion. We'll come back to it at the end of the email. He says, we have not encountered intelligent life in our infinite universe because life is bloody difficult. So in short, we are a unique planet in that life is not repeatedly wiped out before it can develop enough to send messages into space. The Gaia are actually helping us get past the great filters such as solar flares, meteors, etc. Mm -hmm. He says, just thought I'd get that one out of my head. Okay. Well, I think we'll come back to that in a second. He says, of course, the flip side of the Fermi paradox is that there could just be a super predator out there murdering all civilizations before they reach maturity enough to bother the rest of space. By that theory, we're probably due a visit. My <laughs> guess is that it will be the Daleks. At least I'll burn with a little fanboy grin on my face. <laughs> oh, and isn't Doctor Who a bit good this year? Not a single proper duffer in the lot. Thanks, Graham. Oh, and I'm in Gateshead, but from Cumbria, and for no reason sound a bit more southern if you want to try and guess at an accent. Go on, then. I've just finished reading his email. Oh. Fortunately, he didn't put that in until the end. <laughs> if he'd have put that... If he'd have put that one in at the start, I'd have had to try his accent, wouldn't I? Write another one, Graham Boyd. We'll get jail to do your accent. No, I can't do accents. <laughs> Haven't we noticed this yet? I know, but it's mighty funny. <clears throat> There's only one accent I can do. <laughs> and that's Australian. <laughs> yeah. French Australian. <laughs> Strangled. So the Fermi Paradox. Mm. I think we've spoken about this before on the podcast, haven't we? We probably have, a while back. Simon, life mm. on other planets, mm. UFOs, mm. and has there ever been contact? I'd very much doubt it. You'd very much doubt that there's ever been contact, mm. or that there's life on other planets? Oh no, I firmly believe there's life on other planets. So why then have they never been to visitors? Because they're so bloody far away. Exactly. That's it, simple as. thing is, it takes so much power, energy, to 
get from one place to another in those sorts of terms. How many years did it take us to get just a little satellite out to the edge of the solar system? Mm. How much did that cost? To add, and, and that was about as fast as you can go. So in order to get to the nearest planet is, well, the nearest possible planet that could possibly be harbouring life is four light years away, right? Mm. So Alpha Centauri, isn't it? Uh, Proxima Centauri. Oh, yeah. Centuri? What the hell is that? <laughs> Centuri. That's what you say when you're six. I'm still six. Yeah. Sailor the Centuri. <laughs> even, with, even with nuclear power. I can't say that word either. <laughs> so I probably can't say John Pertwee properly. <clears throat> oh. Pertwee. Pertwee. Oh, and somebody who can't say Autons properly. Autons. Autons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. Cybermen. 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 I usually say Cybermen. Oh, do I? Yeah. Oh, I'm lazy. <laughs> I, I, I lose, I lose a, energy by the end of the I word. I say, it's the same amount of syllables. Anyway, the point is, you could never have enough power to send a spaceship at the speed of light, let alone... With the technology we have at present. Yeah, but I don't think with any technology. The thing about the kind of science that comes up with theories about wormholes and managing to... Warp. Yeah, managing to get matter to travel faster than the speed of light. This is all theoretical science. You can prove anything you like with theoretical science. In practical terms, uh, it's just not possible. Mm. You know, you, you don't just click your fingers and find wormholes. You don't just click your fingers and manage to get something with the mass of a space shuttle to travel faster than the speed of light. It doesn't happen. It's just not practical. My and understanding is it's more likely that we'll come across parallel universes before we'll meet other Parallel ones, universes other don't exist either, do they? Yeah, that's, another, they? that's another one of these theoretical things that it actually isn't practical, is it? We'll have to there... check Facebook out because something popped up this, this afternoon. But they've suddenly proved that it, it, it can't be, obviously. <laughs> you can, it's you it's can another prove... theory. It's got to be. You can't have you it. Can there's something to do with, with certain, there's certain energies that must be somewhere else in order for something to be... But it's still theory. It's not proven. It's theory, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. 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 Yeah, but Simon, you've only got to say that and listen to what you're actually saying. In the theories that there's certain energies that must be somewhere else in order for something else to be true. <laughs> yeah, but that's just because on. You just being uneducated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see that the science of Doctor Who uh, with Brian Cox? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I I saw about five minutes of it, and I saw the bit where he tried to prove that time travel should be possible, and what he was talking about was basically oh, smoke and mirrors. He can the way and the way even the way he theorised that time travel was possible. You couldn't go backwards or forwards in time. You could just travel a little bit more slowly through time or something. Mm. That was mm. the thing about going into space, wasn't it? And then was coming that... back. Oh, the business of a... a being older. Yeah. Things like that, yeah. Or mm. being the same age, yet the Earth has turned and uh, time has changed and moved on. And does I, that I'm not again a sound practical? Not a... Well, the way in which he said this, I'm sure that he said that there was proof that there's a couple of seconds... Couple of seconds, couple of minutes, couple of hours difference. I don't know. Uh, to do with the clocks on the on one of the spaceships, 
and the one down at NASA, and then they came back and they were different. Mm. So that's quite good proof. So essentially, Unless the uh, person who goes up into space is like, no. they've got a fast forward button, basically. Something like that. And I'm go, not a scientist. Go up in space, remember. travel fast enough yeah. and far enough, come back again, and then time has moved on faster on Earth. I can't remember why. Sorry. Even so, that's still not time travel, is it's it? Not time travel. It's not, no. <laughs> really? Basically, not... it's all just a load of hokey nonsense. Hey, you can prove anything with numbers and science, but actually putting it to practical use. Oh, there was a subatomic test a few years that's back. That's the thing, subatomic. Yeah. How much energy does it take to do it subatomically? And if you can do it yeah. subatomically, right? If you can do something subatomically... How are you going to practically do it atomically? Ask Blondie. Don't know. But that's the point. If you can get something that's smaller than an atom to do something, and it takes that much power and energy mm. to get something that's smaller than an atom to do something, how much energy and power? And not just how much energy and power would it take to get something that has trillions and trillions upon trillions of atoms, like a space shuttle to do the same thing with people in it. Mm. But not only that, but if you're doing it on a subatomic level, what you're basically dealing with in, oh, right, in analogous terms, what you're basically dealing with is, say, a subatomic particle is a smarty. Right, you might be able to swallow a Smarty, but what you're talking about, in practical terms, is swallowing a Smarty without entering the room. In other words, putting your mouth around the house and swallowing that in order to get the Smarty. To do something practically in <laughs> subatomic per terms does not make it practical in atomic terms. Mind you, I've got a house full of vinyl on uh, a chip the size of my finger now. That's changed. That's that's moving on. That's that's that was a ridiculous theory. Three D printers. Yeah, but what you're 1950s. talking about? Yeah, but what you're talking about is you haven't put the vinyl on the chip. You've taken the no, matter that was stored matter. on the yeah, exactly. vinyl and put the data that was stored yeah. on the matter. That would be time lord technology if you could fit the vinyl in the chip. Mm. And that's an entirely different thing. It's like the difference between sending radio waves out to the moon and sending a spaceship out to the moon. Not that difficult to send radio waves out to the moon. Sending a spaceship out there, just a little bit more difficult, which is why we haven't done it more often. But on the subject of the Fermi paradox, the other thing as well, of course, is the universe is billions upon billions of years old and will carry on for billions upon billions more years. And not only that, it is absolutely vast. Mm. And the distance between the stars, even the closest ones to us, is absolutely vast. Now, I read a statistic somewhere that there's a one in two billion chance of life starting on any particular planet. So even if life started on every two billionth planet that exists, that's something like 200 million suns, say, if you say there's an average of 10 planets per star, right? How close will the nearest sun be that's going to give birth to life if it's a 1 in 2 billion chance? And even if it does, 
how many of those civilizations that start are actually going to develop to the point where they get space travel? Say one in two billion civilizations. So now you're already at one in two billion squared, mm. plus all those vast difference distances in between, plus then they'd have to find us. So I'm sorry, but as much as I like Doctor Who, for those reasons, no, I don't believe in UFOs. I just, you know, it's a nice, it's a nice thing to do silly fiction about, but uh, I couldn't take it seriously. Okay, let's go to another. Unless anybody's got another point they'd like to add to that. No, no. no okay, just, we've already spent fifteen minutes real. on that. <laughs> it is real. Exactly. Thank you very much. Well, they do it, don't they? They point cameras at people who are actually doing it. It might be make believe, uh, but it's still real. Thank you. There you, you go. Can carry on there. <laughs> okay. Um, Dylan Deadline Reese has written in. He says, "Hi, Blue Box team." Oh, I hate that word. What deadline? <laughs> oh, oh, prime joke. <laughs> that's because you had a deadline a few days ago, didn't you? Simon? I did. Yeah, I've got another deadline as well. Mm. And this deadline you had a few days ago. Mm. When did you finally submit the thing that the deadline was for a few days ago? Uh, yesterday. Uh, but it's fine because they emailed me afterwards and told me the deadline's not till this Friday. No, than last you. Friday, as I thought it was. Oh well, I've done it now. This is mind mind tricks that JR plays on me. <laughs> Jedi mind tricks. Mind you, it's very nice. And for anybody who buys Starburst magazine, the issue that comes out in the middle of December will have a very nice picture in it. Oh, did you like it? It was okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dylan Deadline Ruth says, I discovered your podcast by accident a few weeks ago. I absolutely love it. Blimey. I know. You never fail to make me see stories I love or loathe in a different light. You even made a compelling argument for Fear Her on the Tenth Doctor podcast, so I went back and watched it and enjoyed it a lot more. Apart from the bloody Olympics bit. <laughs> Fair enough. You weren't on that podcast, Lee, it was me. I was. Yeah, of course you were. <laughs> I do, however, have two gripes I must share with you. Right, I'm going into my Australian accent now, because if he's going to gripe about the podcast, he deserves no better, does he? Doing a Scottish accent. I can't do Scottish <laughs> accents. I'm not even going to do the Australian accent. When I started listening, I was picking, I was picking the podcast based on a title. However, now I'm not sure what I've listened. Oh, he was when he started listening. He was going back through our back catalogue. Okay. And picking which episodes to listen to based on the titles. Right. He makes a good point here. He says, however, now I'm not sure which ones I've listened to and which I haven't. Any chance of slightly more detailed blurb on the Starburst website? Mm. Well, mm. this is the thing. We've done about 100, well, it's nearly 130 now. And I didn't forward them any information when we started because I, as you know, as I've said plenty of times, I'd never listened to a podcast, so I didn't know what he did. I just recorded it and sent them the file of the recording. So by the time I realised that people usually put a blurb up to let people know which episode it is, too late but here's the thing and this is for dylan and anybody else who's listening who'd like to go through our back catalog and try and work out which episodes are which if you go to our facebook page mm -hmm. just underneath the cover there's a on the line that says home about pictures etc there's another one that says forum mm -hmm. and if you click on forum i've not actually used it as a forum yeah i don't think you can um 
I don't think it's a good can... idea. I don't think forums are rigged. <laughs> no, um, I think I've got it set so that you can't add anything to it. Oh, okay. Only the administrator can use it. Oh, okay. So I've not used it as a forum, but I've used it as a as information collection point. Mm. So mm. you find threads there. One of the threads, I think there's three threads. One of the three threads has got um, links to access some extra little bits and pieces we've done. One of them is a diary of our recording sessions, and one of them is an episode guide. So if you go either on the diary of our recording sessions or on the episode guide, you will find all sorts of indexes. So if there's particular subjects you like, say for instance, when we do a podcast going back over a particular season, you'll find in that thread, you'll find a post which collects together all the different seasons we've done and where to find them. Yeah. And so on and so forth. You find also whatever guests we've had on the podcast. Or even right at the bottom, it says, if you say, for example, if you particularly like Lee and you don't want to listen to any of our episodes that don't have Lee on. Why, <laughs> <laughs> you silly person. How could that possibly be you? What about our missing episodes? We've got some missing episodes, haven't we? We've got some which we've only got in mono. Um, Babel Colours currently turning into stereo for us. <laughs> And, Is he really? Uh, don't be silly, Lee. Oh, that would be so exciting. <laughs> you idiot. That'd be excellent. Mean? Why do you think exciting? Why do you think I'm well, pointing people to the to, episodes that don't have you on? From mono to stereo would be brilliant. Like stream stereo, like the Beatles. That'd be fantastic. You could put it wouldn't be that difficult to do it. No. That's all right, I just got excited for a second. <laughs> Babel colour might be doing something for us that made no sense. <laughs> Nice. I'm tired. Get on with it. Actually, if I think of it, our first three podcasts where the stereo mix is all oh, over yeah. the place because we didn't find out until afterwards that Mark's. Uh, well, we didn't have Simon, did we, for the first three? No, and you and me, we were okay. Yeah. We had stereo mics, but we didn't find out until afterwards that Mark oh, yeah. only had a mono mic. And so he was mixed entirely onto one side of the stereo, That's like right. the Beatles. That was weird. I keep meaning to go back and remix those and put them somewhere on a Dropbox and put the link up on a page. So people so. assume I'm in those first episodes, don't they? I'm kind of like the check-off of the podcast. Does he only turn up late? Chekhov didn't join Star Trek till a bit later, did he? And everyone assumes he was there from the start. Couldn't you say I'm like the Vicky of our podcast? Why? Or I'm like the having well, two hearts. I didn't replace hearts. anyone, did I? Okay, I'm like the having two hearts of our podcast. Oh, okay. Because... <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't turn up until the start of John Pertwee that the Doctor had two hearts. Oh, yeah. That's and of course, Sonic that. Screwdriver doesn't turn up till 1966 or 7. Nobody's mm. quite sure. You're a Sonic Screwdriver. Well, the first time it's mentioned in the script <laughs> is in Fury from the Deep. Yeah. But, fact fans, apparently they used it in Power of Did the Daleks. Did you just say but fans? But, fact fans. Okay. Right, cool. You've got to be very careful how you say that. If you say it in a London accent, but fact fans. <laughs> uh, no. All right, we've got some other emails, and they're all about... No, I'm going to do the first two of these before we get into deep water. Right. No, dark water. Before we get into dark water, I'll do the first two of these, because they're quite amusing. And I'm sure the two people who wrote these emails in would rather I didn't read them out now. And for precisely the reason that they didn't think about that before they sent them in, I'm going to. <laughs> oh, I didn't get to the end of 
Dylan Deadline Reese's, he had another gripe as well. Oh, okay. Go, go, go. Let's see what Dylan has got to say. Okay, his other gripe is, number two, despite your best efforts to put a positive spin on everything, your contempt for Colin Baker's era and the 80s in general can get a little trying. Mm. I know this is not a popular era, but there is still much to love and lots of fans of it. Your podcasts reviewing Colin seasons don't have the same balance that your podcasts on other much maligned seasons like 18 and 24 do. Could I suggest that if you're going to cover a subject or season that you all feel negatively about, it might be worth getting in a guest who feels positively about the subject. We couldn't find anyone. Well, funny, <laughs> funny that it comes it. across like that, because for me, that was a golden era for me. That was when I was watching it as a kid. Yeah, Colin Baker. Was, well, yeah, Peter Davison through Colin Baker, so maybe I don't push home my love I think it was only it. really me that was that negative about it. Yeah, possibly. And I wasn't negative about him. I was only negative about the writing. Hmm. Mm. And it just for instance, he says, I'd really love to hear you go back to the trial season with some fans of it and see if they can win you over. Moan over, keep up the good work, happy times and places, Dylan. That, that's not such a bad idea, actually. It's tricky, though, isn't it? Because I did, as I say, I do, I'm very fond of that era. Um, trial of the Time Lord, I remember well, because that was the first era that I recorded, managed to record on VHS. And it's probably the first one that I watched more than twice within a short period of time. So yeah. I don't remember... Um, getting on its back too much because I quite liked a few of those as well. Maybe there was uh, just an underlying activity for it because of the same <clears throat> thing. Maybe the same. I thing, think yeah. it's probably a case of um, it came over as more negative because generally we're more positive. Because mm. I don't think we were necessarily more negative about those than some podcasts are about new episodes when they're reviewing them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and the thing is, possibly. we did try to. Uh, be as balanced as we could. We get, we get. I mean, I suppose we get under the skin of these of the show, don't we? And under the skin of that particular era, wasn't a particularly nice place. Mm. Especially the end bit. Yeah. Okay, Lee. Just very briefly, and Simon. Just very briefly, and then I'll do these two emails, and we'll get into it. Did you enjoy Dark Water, Lee? Loved it. Simon. Not so much. I, no. I haven't got words to express how much I enjoyed it. Oh, you did like it? Oh, I adored it. Okay, so when I said, did you like it, you could just have said yes. <laughs> That's a much better reaction. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Richard Hoggarth says, Hey guys, loving the podcast. I was wondering, could Missy be Romana? Well, with your theories of the Matrix, Gallifrey still out there, and Missy sounding ever so close to Mistress, also in the trailer, Missy saying she knows him, I don't think this is so implausible. Would love to hear your thoughts. And I truly love the Phil Ford and Dan Starkey podcast. Funny, insightful, really great job. And Lee and Simon, nowhere to be heard. <laughs> and with that, we're not answering It would have been now. uncomfortable, though, with all my comments about comedic Sontarans, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, I take it you didn't mention that to him. I no, love comedians. <laughs> Why would I? Love I love Strax. He's excellent. I love Strax. I've grown to love Strax. We understand your point, Simon. Mm. Thank you. Well, I've got to ask you though, guys, before we get on to the uh, similar email from Miles, what do you think? Could Richard be right? Might Missy be Romana? No, I don't think so. Um, she's far too evil. Do you think Romana so, Simon? Could she be Romana? Well, she could. She's a nasty twit. No. 
I've heard some people saying on Facebook this could be another red herring, but no, obviously it isn't. It's not a red herring. You asked the question, look, you asked, you're just talking about infinite universes, you're saying could it be? Well, yeah, of course I'm it being could be. funny because he's written be. this before he found out that she wasn't. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. The only red herring that could possibly come out of this is whether it was the Rani taking the mic. But I, I doubt No, I tell you, my theory is that... Your theories have been right so fast, don't, 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 don't ruin it. My theories, what? I've been pretty right so far, so don't ruin it. I'm doing the comedy email section. <laughs> this is a comedy theory to go, go with the comedy oh, email. Oh, is it okay? Comedy theory. Canine. Okay. My theories are always right. What are you talking about? Do it in Irish Unless I do... What? <laughs> my theory. My <laughs> theory, yes. Go ahead, tell us your theory. My theory is that if Missy is the master... And she's harvesting the bodies to make her army of dead people. Then surely Seb must be the Rani who's harvesting the brains for his scientific experiments. Oh, don't be right. That'd be brilliant. Well, <laughs> I don't know you've been right. <laughs> actually, the funny it's thing is, idea. the funny thing is, there was a press release or something this week that said, "Oh no, no, the interview with Rachel Talalay on Radio Free Scaro last week." Mm. And she said, and nobody seems to have noticed this, she says, she doesn't really give out spoilers, and this was recorded before the episodes went out, but she says, yes, we find out who Missy is, and we find out who Seb is too. And now I'm thinking, hang on, would she have brought that up and said that if Seb didn't turn out to be somebody okay. particular as well? Mm, that's a good point. And I'd already thought of the Rani thing before I listened to the interview, so now I'm doubly thinking, hang on, is Seb going to be the Rani? Because the thing is, to a modern audience, even if they've never heard of the Rani, all they need to know is, he's another Time Lord, he likes doing experiments, and he works with the Master sometimes. I just wonder whether Seb is, you know, there, is there a reason for him being called that? Because he has a name on his desk saying Seb in big letters. It's almost like we need, we need to know that his name's Seb for some reason. And there must be a clue there somewhere. Um, Do we know anybody called Sebastian <laughs> in Doctor uh, Who? No... All right. I guess we'll get to Marvel. I don't know. I think possibly you're reading too much into that. <clears throat> possibly, like I did with the lying. The lying? Who's the lying? <clears throat> no, not the lion. The lying. Okay. Anyway, we get back to get to that. Anyway. I guess that makes you the lying king. <sighs> Why? <laughs> there was no reason for that, was there? Miles Northcott says, New thought on Missy. Probably not new, but one I'd considered before. But don't believe I've mentioned. Missy, Miss C, who seems to be allied to the Cybermen, Miss Cybus, a manifestation of the Cyber Planner. Seb could be a Cyberman. <laughs> and it could tie into my early theory, earlier theory about the clockwork droids trying to be the new Cybermen. Or something else, of course, lol, he says. Another new thought. If the story is all about the dead, as Nether Sphere stroke Heaven stroke the afterlife implies, maybe Missy is a previously dead character. Now, who recently has died that would call the Doctor her boyfriend and has a name which could be a derivative of Missy or stroke Melissa? Hmm? Again, I hope I'm wrong, he says. Lol. <coughs> I hope you're wrong as well. That'd be far too... So guys, could Missy be the cyber planner? Um, no, well, no obviously she's the master, no. isn't she? Oh, come on, I'm giving you guys a chance to have a bit of funny business Yeah, here, no, I, was just just trying, I was just trying to get into Lars's head there, just wondering where he's going with that. 
But I like the Seba man. That was good. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, these Cybermen... I put this on Facebook, but most of the people listening won't know this, so it's worth repeating here. These Cybermen are only Erzat's Cybermen, aren't they? They're not real Cybermen. They're no, just no. Cybermen that Missy's created as her own personal army. Mm. So they shouldn't really be called Cybermen, should they? No. So if you take Miss... Even Cybers ones shouldn't be called Cybermen either. Really. Well, if you take Miss from Missy, Tur from Master, and Men from Cybermen, you come up with a new name... <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Men. Yeah, that's what they should be called. <laughs> I guess you didn't see me posting oh, that on Facebook. Then, no, did I missed that one. Oh, okay. That's funny. Like well, that. that's what I'm going to call them from now on, the Mr. Men. Yeah, very good. They're all Mr. Strong. Oh, oh dear. Okay, Dark Water. <clears throat> so, well, you've said it. It was what you were expecting and hoping for and waiting for. Well, well, and the nice thing is, I didn't, I wasn't expecting anything, so it just, it just great. It was riff after riff after riff. It just felt, it just kept. I had someone to say late, late, later on that it was quite slow, and I just thought, actually, no, it was just chock full of stuff. It's chock full of stuff, but it's very slow. Do you think? Definitely just, slow. Oh, I was just punching the air all the time. Because yeah, you've, you've only seen it once, haven't you? Mm. I've rewatched it, mm. and it it is slow. It's at a really it's a very nice, languid pace. Languid, mm. that's a good word. But actually, what what you're saying is there's a lot in there to enjoy. You know, it's the timing of of the characters, and it's the the lines that are being delivered, and it's the action, and everything in it is just kind of like there's there's no reason for any of it not to be there again. Yeah. No. If you think about it, the first ten minutes is um. Danny Pink getting knocked over, <coughs> Amazing. and then the volcano scene, right? Mm. And that's ten minutes, mm. and then you've got thirty-six minutes of the Doctor in one corridor, Danny in one office, and it doesn't move out of that corridor or out of that office for the next thirty-five minutes. Mm. It's not fast. There's no running around. No, but it doesn't There's... feel. No, like it doesn't feel what like you've that. just described. But I did notice. That they were filming in the, in the same place as two or three other episodes we've seen before. So wow. Vincent, obviously, um, I think, and Big Bang and a few others, because it's the Cardiff Museum, isn't it? I think it's been filmed in. Looks like it anyway. <clears throat> and I'm kind of like, well, I've seen this corridor quite a few times now, so I wish I'd use another one. But you know, it, like you say, it was all about the characters interacting. It was all about trying to find out who Missy was. It was like the mystery of the uh, of the uh, you know water tanks and that kind of stuff. Which mm. I kind of knew what that was straight away. Well, but we all knew. But what I couldn't it was. work out how, and it's like X, well, they've had X-ray a, water, uh, which is a brilliant idea. <laughs> well, I wrote about this in the um, review, but it's worth repeating here for people who have not read it. It's been a thing since the Zygons, and possibly before, because when Ross T Davis was in charge, I mean, ever since it's been in Cardiff. Whenever they go out on location anywhere, there are always people with cameras taking pictures and they'll be posted on the internet. When Russell T. Davis was in charge, nobody came up with an idea to do anything about that. They just had to take it on the chin. So, for example, just before David Tennant's regeneration, the bit where he goes back and talks to Rose on the Powell estate, mm. there are photographs of them filming that. So, you know, it was possible to guess before the episode went out, long before the episode went out, that that was how it was going to finish. 
So what Stephen Moffat has come up with as an idea to counteract that now is if you're about to go out on location, say with the Cybermen, instead of uh, waiting for people to post photographs on the internet, you announce the Cybermen the day before you get to the location. So not only have you stole their thunder, but also anything new that they might post, you've already revealed basically what it is. And so people aren't going to be bothering so much looking at their pictures. So little things that they might have smuggled out that people might have noticed, they're going to get lost mm. because people aren't that fussed about it anymore. They started with Zygons, didn't they? They said uh, the Zygons are going to be in the 50th anniversary special. And then the following day, there were a few pictures of Zygons out in location. And although people were taking notice, they weren't taking as much notice as they would have done if the BBC hadn't said, right, tomorrow we'll be taking Zygons out. So, with Darkwater, you got a situation where we knew the Cybermen were in it because there was no way they were going to be able to hide the fact that they took Cybermen out and around in St. Paul's. So, in an ideal world, that episode would have gone out with nobody knowing that there were going to be Cybermen in it. And things like the reveal of what the dark water was and the eyes on the windows with the little mm. tears in mm. the corner. The bit where the two doors close and you get the rise that of the Cybermen funny. music come up. That was really funny. But for a good percentage of the audience, I mean, even though the Cybermen have been in the trailers, there will still be quite a few people watching that who've not seen the trailers even. Mm. Or maybe people who've not really taken a lot of notice. So that reveal will still have worked for some people. But for most people, we knew the Cybermen were in it. And so it becomes a case of knowing where the story's going, but watching the journey. It's like you might know where the river comes out, but that doesn't stop you enjoying taking a boat up and down the Mississippi, does it? I was going to say, I did really well at avoiding a lot of the spoilers, but I did see those pictures because they were everywhere. You couldn't avoid um, it. No. Um, but what I found more intriguing was the fact that Missy was there with the Cyberman. And this fact that she was supposed to be in the nether sphere. So obviously she she, yeah. she had was, some physical the, body. It was the pictures of Missy with Peter Capaldi. And the looks on their faces. Which, when I first saw that, part of me was thinking, oh, they're working together. We don't know whether they are going to be working together to stop something yet. But that's very trademark Master and Doctor, isn't it? Well, it looks to me. And when I was looking at it, I was thinking, oh, that's what the Master would do. Didn't even think about it, did I? <laughs> but it was like, it was, it was that moment of, oh, they might be working together on this. And they're outside. And it's just a normal kind of, you know, green area in probably London somewhere. Mm. So, yeah. I was I was also a bit kind of oh right she's a real character then that that spoiled it for me a little bit but that's it but then the other thing is and this is what they've done with this episode you know where the Cybermen thing is going mm. you know that this dark water is going to be Cybermen you know that these officers and this corridor that is in has got something to do with the Cybermen you know that these bodies that they've collected are going to turn into Cybermen you kind of know all this so you're watching the you're watching the jigsaw puzzle as it gets put together, <coughs> yeah. knowing what it's going to be a picture of. And because Stephen Moffat advertised the episode as a Cyberman story in places like Doctor Who magazine, and because they put Cybermen all over the trailers, so most of the people going in did know that it was going to be a Cyberman story, all your concentration's on the Cybermen. 
So when Missy reveals she's the master at the end of the episode, there's not that many people who are thinking that. You know, on no. fan forums and that, where Doctor Who fans congregate to talk about these things and come up with theories, they're all saying, well, she could be the master, she could be Romana, she could be Susan, whatever. So a third of those people were right, <coughs> whoever made that guess. Yeah. But for 99% of the population at large watching, they're watching the Cybermen thing. So when Missy turns around at the end and says, actually, I'm the master, that's a complete shock for those people. I'd love to have been one of those people. Mm. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to the one who got it right. Did I get it right? I think you got it right. You said the master. Oh, master. was it you? Oh, I Simon, I said the master about 18 months ago. That's what I was thinking, but you did mm. continually back Jay up when mm. I was trying to find other things. Just to balance the argument, I knew you were right, really. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, a little bit of Matrix there, too. Yeah, that was a little yeah, bit. Yeah, no, that was, that, right that, that was a bit of a shocker. As soon as they said, "Oh, it's a slice of the matrix," all I could think about was they I didn't say think... it was a slice of the matrix. They said it was a slice of yeah, it was, it was time matrix, technology, matrix slice or something. Yeah, he said it was something. He did say I don't slice. Think it was or something directly like from the matrix. I think he was just using the same technology. Yeah, that's yeah, possibly yeah. Yeah, but when that when he said that, all I could think of was <clears throat> I don't think I could add a little JR in the eye at the podcast with <laughs> but, with the smugness that might happen. <laughs> But if if it is a slice of the Matrix as opposed to just Matrix technology, mm. this could tie in with Gallifrey. Yeah. Because, and with how the Master comes back to be back in our universe. Because I've said right since Day of the Doctor, haven't I? That Day of the Doctor taking place at the same time as the end of time because the two take place pretty much simultaneously, don't they? Yeah. That gives the Master an out to get back off Gallifrey, right? Mm. Mm. But but we don't know quite how simultaneously they are working. So whether the Master manages to make an escape or not... <clears throat> well, he says, or she says now, we have to say, uh, Missy you says... You left me for dead. Yeah, you left me for dead, um, which both myself and my son were trying to work out what that meant. So there's maybe there's more to the story than meets the eye. Yeah, and also she a... does mention something along the lines of "these are your hearts" to the Doctor. I don't know whether that's a metaphor or whether it's an actual. Mm. So maybe there's a future episode where the Doctor, some for some reason, has to. No, I don't think give it's away going to be... some hearts. I don't know whether it's like a real thing or not. Why would she say that? I don't think it's going to be quite that literal, is it? No, probably not. I think, I think we get to the point with Stephen Moffat where we try to read something into everything. Uh, with good reason. <laughs> no, because <laughs> Come on. the thing with Stephen Moffat is he does do clever stuff. He does do twisty stuff. I was and say, he does do I mean, stuff that comes back on itself. But he also does pretty normal stuff. A lot of the... You know, one of the things I've been noticing is all season, people have been looking at Clara and Danny and expecting certain things from that storyline because of certain things that have been in that storyline. And a lot of those haven't happened. And we've kind of got beyond the point where they can now. And I'm just talking about simple personality things. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if, trying to think of an example now, but for, for example, when we first meet Danny and it looks like there's going to be a thing about um, uh, not the soldier thing, but the thing about when they have the 
argument oh, yeah. and it's like Clara has to make a choice or else Danny has to live with the fact that she hasn't made a choice. And he does that speech. If it gets too much for you, tell me about it. That kind of thing. And people thought at the time that that was going to be something that was stretched out across the rest of the series yeah. and it would yeah. come to fruition in the um, finale. Mm. But of course that was addressed in the very next episode. Yeah. yeah. And then the thing yeah, that happened so. in the very next episode was addressed in the very next episode after that. Because in the episode after the caretaker is Kill the Moon where she decides she's going to leave him and the episode after that is Mum and the Orange Express after she's left him and then you think, <coughs> oh, we're getting the Clara Light episode or the Doctor Light episode. So she's left him and something will happen in that episode to bring them back together. But they're already back together before that episode even starts. So a lot of the things that people thought, oh, here's Stephen Moffat about to do something clever with this. A lot of those were confounded even before, <laughs> yeah. you know, they had time but to I go think, anywhere. I think what I mean is like there are clues laid down in very small ways that obviously have developed. So, for instance, we were all thinking, well, I wasn't actually, I didn't think about this at the time. The call to Clara was obviously Missy all those years back um, to call the doctor uh, in Bells of St. John. Yes. Um, but obviously a fraction of the world were thinking, well, who made that call? Uh, most people just thought, oh, it doesn't matter, does it? Just get on with the stories. And there you go. That was like a little tiny fun bit of seeding but actually uh, it's turned out to be a bit bigger than that and possibly even bigger than that because she is saying I've chosen Clara well I mean, yeah, but what well, I'm that, saying that is... may be even simpler than it sounds it might be just much be literally just a phone call oh, well, oh she'll do <laughs> sort of oh like. yeah exactly well the thing is they show you particular things in the trailers and that that at the end of the day are going to be red herrings aren't they like, uh, they'll take a line out of the trailer that sounds like, that means one thing, and by isolating it, make it look like it means something else. Mm. So when it comes to, and the weird thing is, we're talking about this, of course, four days before we get to see the episode, <laughs> the people listening to this podcast are going to know already, aren't they? <laughs> so we ought to go back to Dark Water, really. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, a couple of things. Stephen Moffat, was he right to make the master a woman? Yes. Yeah, I've got no problem with that. I think after seeing John Sims' absolutely maniacal, bonkers version of the master, which, let's face it, it's nothing like the others at all, in any shape or form, but it's still got that mastery thing about him, then why not? I mean, you just have to look at, you know, when you look at John Sim and you look at Missy, I think she's got elements of Delgado in there. She's got elements of... A lot of elements of John Sim, and she's got her own thing going as well. Because apparently, in real life, she's a bit nuts. I don't know whether that's that's true or not. <laughs> Michelle but, Gomez. Yeah, but it comes across. She is unbelievably good, and so I can't stop looking at her. I just think she's an amazing actress. Yeah, yeah. And very, very funny, and very, very threatening. You completely believe what she's about to do. And it's it's the things like when she destroys that bloke, uh, Doctor Chang. And then she goes, oh, yeah, I'll be with you in a moment. And the doctor tries to escape. And she's just going, yes, yes, yes. Well, I've locked the lift. And you know, really calm about it. And you think, this is so master. This is so, I'm about to just waste you. Um, and uh, <laughs> Or play with you. Or maybe just, you know, stick you in a prison somewhere. And leave but then language. she snogs him. Absolute genius. Yeah. It's clever, isn't it? <laughs> how How is it clever? Because 
the master and the doctor have been so close yet so far apart as as enemies and compa not companions but they've had to help each other they've they grew up together all this kind of stuff so they know each other really really well and after all these years <laughs> right the only way that you're ever going to get them to be as close as they would be, you always want them to be like either a brother or you know uh, or whatever is by reversing the sex you you've got this sudden moment where they where she snogs him and kisses his nose three times, which is my favourite part of <laughs> yeah. the whole thing. And that's it. That's that's more the master. It's more like a nick, 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 right at the end. It's, that's what it's all about. It's so uh, messing with the doctor's now, mind. Yeah. Now making the master into a woman. This is Stephen Moffat. Is he doing it just for the sake of it? Is he doing it because he wants to make a point? And is he doing it? Here's one thing that I saw somebody bring up. Is he doing it for the right reasons? Well, he's done a lot of things in this season. You know, he's made the moon an egg. He's he's turned the world into a forest to protect it from, you know, a, a blast from the sun. He's done all kinds of mad, crazy things that has polarised, that word again, a lot of people's opinions on, on Doctor Who and, and Stephen Moffat and everything to do with the world of Who. This, to me, is a small pebble in a big pond. It, it doesn't make that much difference whether he's a man or woman, as long as, as, as long as the character is there. But I know where this is going. This is going to the point where people say, well, now the master can be a woman. Mm. Surely the doctor can. And I, I don't think that that will be the case, and I think that would be a mistake. Mm. Why? Simply because I think the doctor is who he is. He is the main character. He's always been a man. He should always be a man. I just like the fact that the that the Doctor is the Doctor. Any other character within the Doctor Who universe can do what they like, but when you've got the Doctor and the TARDIS, you keep the Doctor as the Doctor, as a man, and you keep the TARDIS as a police box. Well, you don't keep the Doctor as a Doctor, do you? Because you keep changing the man. If you keep changing the man, the thing is, is there any I've reason got, I've got to... If he was to... It, I've seen uh, Joanna Lumley have a good go, and that was quite fun. And I know that if Michelle Gomez can really take on something like The Master, I know that if the actor is right for the role then the doctor could be a woman and it would be successful i just think in my heart parts that you know like you say he has to do it for the right reason if he's going to change the sex of the doctor or if he's going to change the sex of the master it has to be well i don't think moffat will be around it should be just a kind mm. of like oh let's do it because we can i don't think moffat will be around long enough to be in charge of the change of another doctor no and this so will... it won't be him so all the criticisms people have been saying, oh, Stephen Moffat doesn't write women very well, and so he should never be in charge of a female doctor. He, But what he has done is he has opened the door to allow somebody else to do it if the time is right and if the actor is well, right. This is the the point I was going to make, is that it's all very well thinking that he's done he's done this, he's done this gender change because he can and because it's a bit, a bit of a... Um, a novelty and that sort of thing. But actually, you think about how well she's playing that. Yeah. She could have been in a room with four or five actors. Or I made the point that she could have been in a room with John Sim. Yeah. And if it was a choice between her and John Sim, who's going to play the master, you'd say, she's on the money. I think and she, if you put she's doing a better job. Peter and, Pratt and Anthony Ainley in the room as well. She'd probably... Yeah. She'd she, still get it. Hmm. And I think... Now, in future processes with the doctor, you could you. There's no reason why they couldn't audition women as well. If they're not right for the job, then they're not right for the job. But if you've got somebody in a room, in the same way as Stephen Moffat had Matt Smith in the room, 
after he'd already decided he was going to do an older actor, you're going to be swayed that way, and why not? Now... I've changed my mind, because I was with you, Lee. I, I thought, well, I don't I, think I it's I was a... the opposite last year. I was saying anything goes, the Doctor could be a woman. I've, I've changed my mind after seeing The Master, mm. because I think it works much better as people around the Doctor. That you can do what you like with everybody else, but I think the Doctor has to be mm. a particular solid character. It's like... Well, it's not like changing Sherlock Holmes because he hasn't got the same ability to change his body. But do you know what I mean? It's like if you would suddenly go, well, let's have um, a female Sherlock Holmes. That's great fun. That's a novelty. But if if you were to go back in time and say to Conan Arthur Doyle, do you know what? Um, that's quite a good character. You've done him a few times. Now let's just change him. And you, and he did. It wouldn't. It just didn't. Wouldn't feel. It wouldn't work. It just the yeah, inherent said character. It, it doesn't have the ability to regenerate. Yeah, the Doctor does. All I'm trying to say is the inherent character of the Doctor, mm. um, and what we've grown up with, and what we've seen for the last. Well, there it is. Five what we've grown up. Well, with. for the five five decades, and what everybody sees as the Doctor as a character, he is a male character. Now, in a TARDIS, which is a okay. Here's a question for you: to make it an organ again. For a season, but why <laughs> exactly? Why? What would be the reason? But you because you don't change the TARDIS. The TARDIS exterior the has never can, changed. It can change. So why don't we? It never has. It's broken. The Doctor, on the other hand, has changed eleven times. It's also iconic, isn't it? As an object, it's iconic of the series. It's like I suppose it'd be like I don't know, getting rid of C three PO and R two D two out of Star Wars. But they, here's the central. Yeah, but here's a question: Could <laughs> Doctor Who, as a series, be successful without a man with a toothy grin, a floppy hat, and an eighteen foot long scarf? Answer: Yes. So there's no reason why. And going back to Simon's point. If you put Michelle Gomez in a room with Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker and Peter Davison, which one of those four would you choose to be the Doctor? I'd choose the ones that we've had already. No, I'm not saying... The... If Michelle Gomez was to sit in a room and audition for if the role of the Doctor, if somebody, somebody, some actor of that quality was to sit in that room... I have absolutely no doubt that she could play the Doctor. I just think well, there that you go. in the world of our beloved Doctor Who, that the Doctor has always been a bloke. We know we can change. I mean, we know time laws can change that. So we've had the Corsair, we've had the Master now. Yeah, but when... And I'm happy with that sort of thing. When, what would be great is, is when, to have, no, a, let me, is have when, half a season of it when, being a woman. That'd be hilarious. Well, like why you, would you that said. be great? It would just be really funny. You mentioned it. But then the Doctor would... would be a woman. Yeah. When William Hart stopped being the Doctor, the Doctor had always been a man who looked roughly 70 years old with white hair. And then he changed into somebody who wasn't. Okay, so let's put it out there now. If next year, whoever the showrunner might be, changes the Doctor and the Doctor becomes a female, time lady, mm -hmm. okay, are you really going to go with that? Are you going to have to go with that? Why not? You're not telling me you'd stop watching, surely? No, no, I wouldn't. But it'd have to be... You know, the stories would have to work around that Doctor, that style of Doctor. It'd be really interesting to see it, but I don't know whether I want to, because it's just a traditional... It's just a traditional kind of... We've had Doctor Who, it's 50 years Doctor Who, it's a bloke, TARDIS, that's but it. But the series changes Dalish. every time the person running it changes. I know. Right? Are you telling me... Did you enjoy I, Claudius? I mean, yeah, did you see yeah, it? Of course I did, yeah, yeah. You enjoyed yeah, it? Yeah, I loved that, yeah. 
And do you enjoy Sherlock? The new Sherlock? Yeah. I do, but I know it's a separate piece to what the original is, completely. Enough. Separate piece to the original what? Original uh, Sherlock Holmes. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking, do you like the series I, Claudius? Yes. And do you like the series Sherlock? Yes. So, if Doctor Who changed just slightly to accommodate a woman in the TARDIS, are you telling me that even though you can like two things as distinct and different as I, Claudius and Sherlock, that you'd have trouble with Doctor Who being ever so slightly different? I might do, yeah. But why? That's absolutely well, it's the ridiculous. Well, it's something having a season you don't like. Or no, going, it's the difference between... At, if yeah. you look at Matt Smith, the way... I mean, actually, you know, I'll accept this, but Matt Smith changed his character completely. Hmm. Right over the two or three seasons he had, he was about three different Doctor Who's. But, in my eyes, but, and, but he but he should have stuck as a particular style of. I mean, I do like the fact that he changed because it's a couple of hundred years, but he changed so wildly to to be in a very very um, kind of a, a chap that's that's seen everything and done everything. Whereas at the beginning he was kind of like a or a Bambi who oh sex is a bit strange Ooh, don't want to kiss he's still doing that at the end yeah I know but mm. you know you, then you think about the character before of David Tennant who had sex with Liz Queen Liz and you think yeah, this, is, this is kind of not quite, you, know, you can change the character but there's only so much you can do with the character well, those are my own personal uh, little gripes when... I just think it stick with some kind of continuity yeah. not much when the Doctor dies when a Time Lord dies and I'm, they've said this on screen every cell in the body dies and is replaced by a new one. So it's not a case of it being the same person. It is a different person who has simply retained the memories of the earlier one. So when you change from one to the next, it isn't the same person anymore. It really isn't, which is why you can do anything with the character. And, God, I've lost my train of thought now. Going back to what you were saying just now, about Matt Smith, etc., etc., and going back to what I was saying about, but when you change from David Tennant, where it was all about teenage angst and the Doctor being this emo hero, and then you in comes Matt Smith, who's this sort of eccentric sort of physics teacher in a young man's body with the DMs. The series changed quite a lot between mm. Russell T Davies and Stephen Moffat. Mm-hmm. And if the series was to change again to accommodate a woman doctor, it would be less of a change than being able to watch I, Claudius and being able to watch Sherlock. It would be like having a latte and then the next day having a mocha. It would still be coffee. It would just taste slightly different. Are you saying you'd really, really have a problem with that? I might do. It depends on how it's handled. Yeah, but then you could say the next Doctor could be a man and you might not like it depending on how Mm. it's handled. The fact that it's a woman shouldn't be whether you like it or not. It should be whether it's handled well. I haven't got a problem with anybody playing any act, any actor playing any part in any role of any size, shape or form. What I've I've got a problem is is with anybody who puts a character or changes that character, the central character that we're all used to, so dramatically just for a bit of a whimsy or they want to change it because they can. It has to be a really, really good reason to change it because the dynamic will completely and utterly change it within the TARDIS. It'll completely and utterly change the it whole won't series change feeling. I, I think the it TARDIS has always been a man and a woman. The Doctor's been the man, the companion's been the woman. Presumably, if you had a female Doctor, she'd have a male companion. So the Who'd dynamic... You cast? 
Well, I wouldn't have argued with them carrying casting Michelle Gomez, given her acting right. on so she's the Dark next Water. Doctor. Well, no, so it's obviously not going to be now. She has his heart. Are what? you saying, Lee, that there aren't actresses capable of playing the Doctor? No, I never said that at all. In well, you just said, who would you cast? And you asked the question... I was as just if... asking if you, who would you cast? Oh, who would I cast? Yeah. I wouldn't. I've never, I've never really given opinions on who anybody should cast. No? Any ideas? Who would make it? Jessica Hines. No. No. Well, I think so. Because I fancy <laughs> the backside of her. I'll just say that in front of my wife. <laughs> She's got headphones on. She has. <laughs> mm. It's like Mrs. Mrs. See, I wouldn't envy anybody picking any any doctor, to be honest. It must be hard enough just trying to pick an actor. All Stephen Moffat has done <laughs> is made it possible for the next person who needs to choose a doctor to be able to choose from the entire playing field instead of just the left wing or the right wing. Mm. All he's done is open the door. And it may be that nobody ever does step through that door step over that threshold or it may be that one day somebody decides decides they want to but i think he's been quite quite brave and quite positive mm. and i think he's done a very good thing now whether or not it ever comes to pass that there ever is a woman doctor is irrelevant the fact is that he's opened that door and whether it I turns what, out i'm sure i'll be proved <clears throat> wrong in a few years time yeah, and whether it turns out in the episode that presumably everybody listening to this podcast has already seen that there was some explanation for the Master having turned into a woman that's not to do with general regeneration, the mere fact that we've seen on screen that the Master can be a man and a woman is enough that we could also see the same thing with the Doctor mm. and these days. Because every time... <coughs> every time... There's a regeneration and one actor announces he's leaving and there's a few weeks or months before we find out who the replacement is going to be. Every time there is always the same argument. It's not should the Doctor be a woman because a lot of fans don't think in terms of should. A lot of fans think in terms of shouldn't. So they will come up for reasons for the Doctor not to be a woman and a lot of those reasons they'll come up with for the Doctor not to be a woman will be in terms of the fiction. The Doctor can't be a woman because we've never seen a Time Lord change from a man to a woman. Mm. And even when the mm. Corsair and it was mentioned, we still hadn't seen it on screen. And let's face it, the way precedence works is you need to see it as opposed to just hear about it. What Stephen Moffat has done is changed that argument. When Peter Capaldi announces that he's leaving, the argument will no longer be the Doctor shouldn't be a woman because of what we've seen on screen in terms of the fiction, the argument will now have to be, why would you want to make the Doctor a woman? Not in terms of the fiction, but in terms of the way you want to present your programme. Yeah. And why shouldn't you, in those same terms? <clears throat> he has changed that argument. So, again, regardless of whether or not it ever happens, I think he's done a brilliant thing. Mm. By changing the dynamics of the argument. I think the, the most argument. exciting thing, uh, and I go back to what I just said, was that it, it opens up the process as well. When they start auditioning, they've just got to think, blokes, they can get, if there's a particular actress who's particularly yeah, within it, their visibility, they can think, 
well, let's get her in. Let's get her auditioning and see whether it works. Wait, if it he, doesn't work, yeah. it doesn't work. If let's, it works, when oh Moffat, my God. When Moffat cast Matt Smith, he had said he wanted to go older. Mm. And he was looking for an older person. And Matt Smith walked through the door mm. and stole the job from under his nose. Next time, it could be that they're looking for a man mm. and that some woman walks through the door and steals the job. And they say, right, we have to. Mm. One thing I will say, I mean, and this is, and I made I said about Jessica Hines and the fact I fancy her and all that sort of thing. That's that's just me picking a name off the top of my head. But <laughs> what, what I would say is, when I was a when I was a young lad, when I was a young lad, I was a huge Star Wars fan, and I used to collect Star Wars figures. And Mum used to go, "Oh, there's a Princess Leia one." I go, "Yeah, I don't want I don't want girls." Mm-hmm. So for young fans, I'm not saying that boys, young boys, are necessarily inclined to prefer male role models. Exactly. And yes, that and that's is... not to say that then the target market cha- changes for that period of time. But so why, why well, the one, the best, the only real argument I've ever seen for not having a female doctor is that the doctor is currently such a great role model for young boys. Mm. Why would you want to take that role model away? And the fact is, if you stick a woman in the TARDIS for three years, for three years you will have new viewers at six years old or whatever whose first experience of the Doctor will be a woman. Mm. But the thing is, in the modern day and age, it is not like back in the 70s where we only had the target books. If you want a positive male role model for those kids, you show them the DVDs, you show them on catch-up, and Mm. if they start watching at the age of five, by the time they're eight anyway, it'll probably be a man again anyway. Mm. So they'll have the best of both worlds. They'll have a a female character yeah. that will show them that it's okay to have leading parts of either gender on television because it still is the case that a lot of the time in all television and in children's television that if you have, even if you have a series where nominally the two leads are a man and a woman, there's still a hierarchy and it still tends to be that the hierarchy favours the man. Mm. Having a female doctor in the TARDIS not only gives them, you know, 12 or 13 positive role models to go back and enjoy, who are all men, but also shows them that it's acceptable for either gender to be at the top of that hierarchy. Brilliant. So again... I I don't even know why it's a worry, to be honest, because, you know, at the end of the day, the, the... The catchment of the show changes. I mean, this series, the catchment has changed. It's probably more of a worry for people who are of an age when they can remember when the leading character in every single thing that was on television was a man. Because mm-hmm. I remember somebody, was it Stephen Moffat who said, would you ever have a female James Bond? But Exactly, the same but, deal. To me, that doesn't But it's work. not the same deal, because if you think about James Bond, James, Do- James is. Bond is incredibly gender-specific. For starters, misogynist, no, you know. Not so, in this day and age. You can completely swap him out. I'd love to see a female James Bond, and it would work. But it, oh, it says the man who didn't think the female Doctor would but work. But it would well, be just throwing a out different... It. I don't think it would, it would be a anyway. very different dynamic to the point where James Bond would be a different... have to be a different character. Plus, you'd Because have a female to... would behave differently in that role. Jenny Bond. With the Doctor... You'd have to retcon James Bond, because James yeah. Bond is supposed to be the same man. Mm-hmm. It's not an agent who takes on 007, which no, several people a, have posited as it an would excuse be a for how he can 
Yeah. It would be like a different Sherlock. It would be a completely different take on the character. Yeah, exactly. You need to create a brand new franchise or a brand new TV show that had a female James Bond. Just like the young Sherlock Holmes mm. series of Bandy Lane. It's a completely different thing. You know, it's 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 married into the world a little bit, but it's not Sherlock Holmes. It's its own beast. Mm. So it's the same thing again. It, you take an idea and you just build it and it'll do something different. With Doctor Who, that isn't the case. It's the same show. You can't take that's Doctor so Who and change it. And make it something different. You can't. It's a no, massive. That's massive what you do do. Bang, bang, that's bang. what everybody does. Yeah. And that is what's so good about Doctor Who. No, it that changes is the within, show that it you changes can change. within Doctor Who. Within Doctor Who, it changes. You can't take Doctor Who and move it somewhere else and then go, let's do young Doctor Who on Gallifrey series. It doesn't work, does it? No one's going to do that. It and could. no one's done it. Could do. Fan fiction has. BBC asked Russell T. Davis for that. Yeah. But what did Russell T. Davis say? Well, Russell T. Davis said no. Somebody okay. else might not have said no. I know, but he knows his stuff. Russell T. Davis also said they should have a version of the series set in an alternative universe called Rose Tyler Earth Defense. And he actually got started on that before he realised it was a bad idea. Yeah. What for Buffy? A uh, point I was making... or no, a point I glossed completely over about half an hour ago, and I'll just briefly go back to... <laughs> People who say Stephen Moffat can't write women because yeah. all these women are sassy. And people say he just writes the same woman over and over again because they're all sassy. I think, A, <laughs> people who say that he's just writing the same woman over and over again, yeah, but don't say the same thing about his male characters because he writes everybody sassy. The people who are saying that are being a little sexist. Hmm. If they're seeing something in his women characters that they're not seeing in his men characters then they've kind of got a gender thing going on there, haven't they? Actually, um, uh, what I like is Stephen Moffat. Yeah, he makes these incredibly strong female characters. He loves women. It's almost Tolkien. Absolutely adored women. You know, the way he wrote them. Well, we all know Stephen Moffat loves women. The point being, (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Moffat is is married into one of the strongest female dynasties in television. His wife, Sue Virtue, his mother in law is Beryl Virtue. Stephen Moffat writes strong women because he has been around strong women his entire adult life. He writes sassy women because the women in his life are sassy. Mm. And if people say his dialogue's not realistic, A, yeah, it's not realistic, but it's not realistic in that brilliant way that Aaron Sorkin's dialogue's not realistic on the West Wing. And B, just because people say the things you wish you'd say when you left the room on television it's a television program i'd rather people are saying the things i wish i'd say after i left the room (laughs) than the things i actually said normally watch big brother people say stephen moffat's dialogue's (laughs) not realistic and then you think yeah okay we are watching a program where (laughs) a time lord has escaped from gallifrey come to earth we know not how build a computer version of heaven is downloading the minds of dead people into this heaven resurrecting their bodies from the grave building exoskeletons around them in this invisible ink water and turning them into an army of robots and your problems with the dialogue and Mm. your problems with the characterization of the female characters I don't know what the problem is. As far as I can see, when we look at somebody like Clara, Jenna Louise Coleman, she grabs hold of that dialogue and she makes it absolutely her own. 
you know you can you can see you can imagine him sitting there writing it and then you can see her picking up and going well i'm going to say it like this. same with capaldi when you look at his if you look at it written down it's like okay well that's just quite interesting words then you see the way that capaldi delivers it yeah like, what how yeah if you look at the scripts often it's as much in the acting and the directing yeah, as it is absolutely. in the writing and the other thing is, if you're going to say, oh, God, I wish Stephen Moffat wouldn't write women like that. Isn't the truth actually, oh, God, I wish the women in my life talked like that? Mm. <laughs> because that's what I wish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not talking about the specific women in my life, by the way, in case either of them are listening. <laughs> I was going to say, my missus is fairly good. She can come out with some brilliant one-liners. Okay, there's another... But it's condensed, isn't it? It's people's... You know, people in real yeah. life do say these witty things. They just don't say them all the time. So it's condensed down. Yeah, it's condensed. It's yeah. like when you see uh, three weeks condensed into 45 minutes of television. Of course you're watching the best bits. That's the point. That's <laughs> <laughs> why you never see him go to the toilet. Yeah. Same reasons. Oh, my yes. God. No. It's like, oh, they should make Doctor Who more realistic. Right, okay. Let's have 45 minutes of three guys sitting yeah. in a room talking That's into a microphone. Really annoying shaking That'd be camera. really interesting. It was quite realistic when Christopher Eccleston had to sit down with Jackie Tyler, who was bringing him a cup of tea. Asking him around for a roast and all that sort of stuff while he's trying to watch the TV. I love that moment all those years back when he said that, you know, that he couldn't get through the um, the barricades uh, of like in the middle of London. So he said, "The only way I'm going to find out is by watching TV." So he <laughs> switches on the TV, and watches the news. I love that. That was the moment that anchored it for me. I thought, mm. "This is it. This has come into a you know quite a realistic level of um, Doctor Who storytelling." All right, then there was another big controversy as well about. Dark Water. I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah. Well, I'm going to preface it, though, by saying okay. something else. When I was a kid, I used to have, not nightmares, because I didn't have these while I was asleep, but it would be one of these things. And when I say I was a kid, I'm not quite sure how old, whether I was six or eight or ten or twelve. I used to have a worry that while I was asleep, a spider would lay its eggs in my ear, and then a few days later the spiders would hatch out inside my head. And of course that's ridiculous. Yeah. And the thing is, even while I had this fear, I also knew it was never going to happen because spiders outnumber people on this planet by God knows how many to one, that if this was something that was even plausible, wouldn't it be happening to people all the time? So even before I had this fear, I knew it couldn't happen. So it was like an irrational fear. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, an irrational fear of spiders full stop. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so the other controversy in this week's episode. Oh, no, and the reason why I prefaced it is, and so the Ark in Space is a story that's built upon that irrational fear mm, of an yeah. insect laying its eggs inside a human body and then hatching out and... <clears throat> Doing something really horrible to the person, but... right? And the whole aliens, yeah, right. Series of films. Okay, so Lee, where was I going with this? I thought you were going to go to the cremation thing. Yes, that's my point. Mm. It has become a thing. Apparently, the BBC have had complaints, probably about six out of eight million people yeah. watching, saying, uh, are "They All right." I well, thought they might have. Well, the point is, Stephen Moffat writes an episode in which one of the main conceits is that the dead can still feel what's happening to the body after they've dead. Mm. And so there's 
I thought it was a brilliant line when he said, what are the three words? Don't cremate me. And not only that, I mean... There's four words, isn't it? Don't cremate me. What do not? Kinda. It's a contraction, right? <laughs> <way. laughs> All right. Then. <clears throat> but again, this is an example of Stephen Moffat giving you, uh, building up the anticipation for something that he's already told you. Because at that point in the episode, we have already had Seb asking Danny at least two, if not three times, "Are you going to be cremated?" We've already had somebody screaming in the background, and Seb saying, "Oh, he's obviously given his body to medical science." We know. If we think about it, we know what those three words are going to be. Maybe not specifically exactly what they are, but we know what they're going to be mm. when it comes to it. And yet the reveal is still a brilliant piece of television. Chilling, actually. And a really creepy idea, yeah. Mm. Mm. But the point is, it's a controversy because people are saying, well, is it sensible to... Uh, in a children's programme, put the idea in children's heads that Grandad, who's just died, might be able to feel his body as it goes off for cremation. Mm. Well, the point is, it's obvious within the fiction. And actually, the way the BBC described it, by saying it's obvious within the fiction that it's not a thing that happens to all dead bodies, but it's part of Missy's plan, people have taken that as a spoiler for next week's episode. It was obvious by the end of the episode it was, that it's part of Missy's plan, so I don't think that yeah. spoiled thought, anything. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's all contained yeah. within the fiction. Mm. Exactly. Mm. And my point, my reply to that would be, I don't... Children who are so young that they don't really understand what cremation is, this wouldn't necessarily be chilling for them. It would be something that sounded creepy that they wouldn't quite understand. Children who are old enough to understand what cremation is are also old enough to understand that this is a story and it's not real. So these people, these moral guardians who say you shouldn't be putting this in a children's programme, I think they're slightly missing the point that children are either a too clever that it wouldn't upset them in that way because they understand it's the fiction or be not yet developed enough that they'd really understand what that concept was enough that it would be disturbing for them which goes back to my point about the spiders in the air thing and when i say i knew before i even started having that fear that it was irrational what i'm saying here is i really don't think that that idea is disturbing enough for children that you should jettison it at the expense of having a really good idea in your story. I mean, I'm I'm only guessing, obviously, but I would imagine the the main complaints would have been from people who probably have had somebody pass away recently and uh, they may have been cremated and they were just not, you know, it was a, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's a, they might even still be going for grief, stuff like that, and then you, they see something that is actually quite funereal. It's a very funereal episode. The whole thing is set in a mausoleum and, you know, in heaven, inverted commas, death, uh, don't cremate me, all this sort of stuff. It is very like going into, a, uh, you know, uh, one of those places. And, yeah, so, you're, you know, as a tea time viewer, if you've just lost somebody, that's just not ideal. But then again, at the same time, 
if I and I think maybe it's the fact they weren't expecting it because it's Doctor Who and it's supposed to be a bit of light relief and it was a bit dark. Whereas if you're going to go and put on a zombie flick and somebody's died in a very similar fashion, or you go and put on a slasher flick and somebody's been stabbed to death down the road, who you know, you're not going to do it because you know it's going to upset you. But on but the other this, hand, it may have been just a little bit of a kind of caught people out with the. Oh well, no, the I don't think it will have caught people out because I'm just thinking he's... about the, the small population no, of people he's... that may have done the complaining. If you've possibly. just well. I think they're complaining because they want to complain because he has foreshadowed for the past three months that this episode was going to be about what happens to people when they die. And it's Doctor Who. It wasn't going to be mm. bright and cheery. No. And in fact, so, it's not what people think was, anyway. Who said, don't, don't perform an autopsy on my body. But that's like a longer... Too many words. <laughs> Too many words. I had one complaint <laughs> I saw... Online somewhere, somebody said, oh, we cremated my uncle this week and the children were asking questions at the funeral about cremation. Mm. But what this person very pointedly didn't say in this uh, post that they'd put up somewhere was whether they were asking questions because of Doctor Who. No. He, he very deliberately didn't say that, but made it sound like that's what they were doing. He also yeah. didn't say... Were these children of an age where they're saying, oh, do you think he can feel that as a joke? Because children do have a sense of humour about this kind of stuff. Yeah, they do have a strange humour as, as youngest. They're probably thinking, oh, you know, he's turning into a Cyberman. That's, how, that, that's what I would have thought at 10. I thought, mm. Oh, Gramps has turned into a Cyberman. How cool is that? That's how I would have thought. Exactly, yeah. I didn't, you know, I, we've all lost people at certain ages. And at that age, I lost a few people. And there was no way I was thinking dark thoughts. It was all a bit kind of exciting and weird and you know the way things were being painted at that time oh he's gone here he's gone there it's like oh that sounds cool and you believe it so i wasn't thinking darkness it was a strange you know so you know if that had happened and i'd watched doctor who i'd be thinking god how cool is that if he's a cyberman <laughs> somewhere it's that but that's me i'm a bit mm. weird like that but uh, so no I, I don't know it's it is i think it's a i think it is valid for people to to bring up certain things but um i think it's more you know the Tom Baker strangulation thing in the seventies was probably more of a reason to complain. To be honest, well, the beheading this. thing, you know, that was a. If the beheading thing and the robot show had been kept in, and it was that weekend, it was that literally that week where stuff was happening. Yeah. Then yes, you know. And that was a national consciousness thing. That was a it was thing, absolutely yeah. yeah. You know, and you know, this time next year, those things are terrible, and they're going to live in the memories of a lot of people. But you know, the general public are, are going to be moving on to the next dark thing, the next tornado, the next disaster, yeah. whatever. And you'll be able to watch Robert, Robert Sherwood and not even think about that and mm. seeing which I think should be put in for the DVD release. Mm. Mm. No, I'd rather they kept it out because it made it a better story I without it. Was it. Better, actually, just, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just the dialogue just jumps. <laughs> God knows how long we've been talking, but long enough, I think, about 46 minutes of television. We'll move on to the emails. Okay. But before we go there, I have had a thought, whilst we were talking, about the female <coughs> doctor. I'll only bring it up very short, very quickly. It was like a wave that just suddenly hit me as we were talking a minute ago. And um, with this season and Capaldi and how different it's been and how powerful it's been, I actually uh, I feel a bit foolish because I think that if we were to go forward with the, the how good Doctor Who is at the moment, a female Doctor could could work. 
it would work for me personally. Well, the way Capaldi's been delivering the same dialogue as Matt Smith would have had to in such a completely different way. Yeah, that's right. And the way Matt and the way um, Paul McGann, again, he had exactly yeah. the same kind of dialogue as Matt Smith did and delivered it completely differently. I even think it would be possible to put a female actress into exactly the same scripts and just not make a deal of it at all mm. and just let her deliver the lines in her way. Yeah, so I'm doing a bit of a 360 here. No, I think you should do a 180. <laughs> Sorry, 180. 360. <laughs> back where I started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. But, uh, uh, yeah. If you like, you can admit so that, that 20 I was persuasive enough for I mean, you. Really, the most that will happen is there will be certain storylines which will be tailored to the fact that he is in a female form. So whether whether a writer will be tempted to make him pregnant at some stage, or be a, have a bloke who's you know if you're trying get, if to that, make advances. Yeah, exactly. If you're him. going to do that, if you're going to make the Doctor female, you you go for it. You you make all the storylines really interesting, really different, mm. and you put all these things in. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, mm. I, that it would have to be full on. But I think. You know, yeah. All right. Well, that, those twenty minutes but, you can but edit then now. We've had we've had actors, <laughs> male actors, who've made it kind of an asexual part. You know, where, it, where it's above all that. Yeah. None of that's that's a that's a recent thing. So you know, you could do the same thing with a female character, I suppose. Yeah. Who knows? Right. It depends on the person. Right. Three pages of emails, starting with Gerard Gray. I thought Dark Water was a great episode. Although a lot of us guessed that Missy was probably the master, it was still a great reveal at the end. Yeah. Peter Capaldi's facial expression was priceless. Looking forward to your podcast on this in the near future. And then I said something about how even though you knew it was going to be the master at the end of Utopia, if you did, it was still an exciting episode to watch. And like I've said, you can watch this one. You just wait for the words, don't you? Yeah, come exactly. Out of his mouth. Or out of her mouth. And he says about Utopia, I remember that feeling so well. Darkwater felt like a movie. Stephen Moffat has written his best episodes this year. Can't wait for Death in Heaven. Should be a great finale. We also got the best Cyberman scene in New Who. The acting from everyone was superb. My son hasn't watched it yet, so I'll watch it again with him. Ian Martin says, There are those who will criticise Darkwater. They will call the writing not good. <laughs> they will comment that Piers Morgan seems to be playing Chris Addison. We haven't even mentioned Chris Addison. I thought he was just a bit too animated. No, I liked it. Danny's so still that mm. Chris mm. Addison just seemed a bit too active around him. But no, Would you like he's... to blow into a bag? <laughs> well, we, we don't know he's a real person, do we, really? He's just a... Well, generated we, we by the wait and see. I don't know what he is yet. Mm. He says... Ian Martin says... These people might point out that if the dark water reveals only organic content, then why are the Cybermen full of skeletons, not brains and nerves? They might ask if the Steve Jobs gag, and we all love a good job gag, was in poor taste. <laughs> that was really good. But yeah, it was in poor taste, but it was funny. Dark humour, wasn't it? Mm. It was fine. Clues in the title. They might ponder that if Danny died and there's no Orson, then Clara can't have given the soldiers the young doctor and essentially created his moral code back in Listen. Mm. What? Say that again? Danny's died, hasn't he? Yes. So yes. the events of Listen can't happen because he can't have a grandson called Orson. Yeah, I know. So what's going to happen next week? <laughs> yeah, well, next week we'll probably bring Danny back. I shouldn't wonder. 
Mork. No. How? He's got no body. Mork calling Wilson. Oh, no, he's still in the freezer, isn't he? Oh. Well, I've not spoiled myself over the Christmas episode, so I've no idea if Danny Pink's in it. No. But actually, I'd be quite surprised if he wasn't, because I, uh, we've already seen by the end of this episode, these deaths aren't in the normal way of things. And it's Doctor Who. Mm. Um, they may snarl and hiss, Ian Martin continues, imprecations at the idea of a female master. But bums to these people, I say <laughs> bums. Dark Water was marvellous and I loved it. The Doctor's panic really did echo scenes from Utopia. Yeah. The key tossing scene was amazing. Oh, yeah. unbelievable. And I thought it was all brilliant. As long as the finale addresses Seb, he's got to be the monk, right? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Right. No, Ian, I'm afraid he's going to turn out to be the Rani. <laughs> That's what you're saying, isn't it? I'm saying the Rani, he's saying the monk. He says, as long as the finale addresses Seb, we're in for a complete belter of an episode. And if there are still people watching who do not revere Moffat as a latter-day man-god of telewriting, then it is our duty to find these lost souls and mercifully dispatch them once and for all. <laughs> what an astonishing journey we've been on this year, from a meh to a masterpiece. Yeah. Mm, Actually, mm. Paul Mount, we're recording this on Bonfire Night. Paul Mount, who writes for Starburst, went to the. There was like a oh, premiere preview, of the, yeah. yeah. And Paul Mount's not a big fan of Stephen Moffat and usually hates the sort of Moffaty episodes. And he texted me as he came out of the screen and told me how good it was. Did he? Which yes. episode was this? Next week's at the, oh, the finale. Okay. Yes. Um, I want to make the point um, that quite a few people. Thought the reveal was really disappointing. Of the what? master, or the... yeah, the master. Well, it was fairly low key, and well, the Cybermen coming it... down St Paul's was a little bit low key as well. But mm. I think there's a reason for that, and we'll find out why that was low key next week. Yeah. But you'd already done Utopia, so yeah. I think if you'd have just done Utopia again, besides, there's hints and foreshadowing all the way through the episode, so it's. It's Moffat. He likes to slow burn to the reveal. I don't quite know how else she would have done it. Well, I think people would rather were, have been a bit more hysterical. The, there were clues in the performance, in that performance, you know, leading up to the kiss and after the kiss. If you watch it back if afterwards. If you watch it back, you yeah. well, the, power, the power's in the words, not in the You know, all this delivery, pretended to be a droid business. It's just the master about with the doctor's brain it's just yeah. messing around she did it so having well. a bit of a laugh while she yeah. takes over the world the robotic head movements oh, yeah. the oh, eyes and everything it's just the that performance is so improved the second time you watch it it's yeah. an absolute so, joy I was talking to Mark Clapham today who's, who's a, a writer as well and uh, he he pointed out a scene which I thought was uh, absolutely incredible just hilarious and made me laugh out loud and that was the bit where he goes Doctor Who she goes Dr. Chang! <laughs> Just swings around. I thought, this is great. Mm. Mary Poppins. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, we've got Kieran Hyman. <clears throat> I think Kieran Hyman's Australian. <laughs> <clears throat> I think he actually is. Well, yeah. He is now. I think he's New Zealand, isn't he? Can you do a New Zealand accent? <laughs> <laughs> I might give it a try. No, don't. Did you like that? <laughs> Kieran Hyman says 
the master getting on with the doctor. I didn't know Moffat read my fan fiction. He <laughs> <laughs> says 20 production photos, 10 official teasers, two official trailers, and a swag of rumours in a pear tree. And we were still none the wiser. So before watching this episode, my main fears were thus. Clara being evil and or fake in some way, which would render a season of character development worthless. Mm. The Cybermen being partially or completely overshadowed by Missy or the Missy storyline being uninteresting. But I see Moffat has probably just tricked us again with a plot misleading trailer. I see that Clara isn't evil so far, but that she still leaves her never existing line. Oh, but that still leaves her never existing line, which will be in part two, because the trailer had some stuff from part two in, right? I've only seen it once, and I was looking the other way, so I can't... Oh, so you were looking the other way. Well, no, I say I was looking the other way. I kind of was watching it, and I was deliberately not taking it in. (laughs) I suspect, says Kieran, I suspect that she's just trying to fool that Cyberman. Yes, Cybermen. I do like the mirroring of the invasion because it's one of my favourite stories. But I must say that the Cybermen's walk does look a bit camp from the front, as did the CGI of their skeletons standing up, which was a bit ropey. I was interested by the idea of the dark water. You could hide anything in there, presumably even a TARDIS. As for Missy... As for Missy, it appears that the Master is a woman now. Shock, horror, consternation, uproar. Actually, it's all right, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But how did the master survive, and why did she claim to be the doctor's girlfriend? What a ridiculous sentence. Mm. As well as... Yeah, but like I say, she's playing around. She's messing around, isn't she? And that was all part of the messing around. Yeah. As well as why the doctor didn't recognise her presence like he did in Last of the Time Lords. Well, that's just something that Stephen Moffat's not doing, that Russell T. Davis was, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Appropriately enough, says Kieran, my recently purchased DVD of The Keeper of Traken arrived today, a few hours before Dark Water began. Good to see Sheila Reed back as the nameless Gran, and I think that the Steve Jobs gag was priceless. I always said that Doctor Who conventions would be better in heaven with all of the stars that have left us over the years. Upon my death, I'll be looking forward to the Three Doctors panel myself. Perhaps John Pertwee will explain again that we don't make Dalek stairs jokes anymore. (laughs) And after all that drama and action with the Cybermen and St. Paul's, Doctor Who even took the time to end on a jump scare. Uh, Then he says, hashtag too spooky for me. See the iPad, be the iPad. (laughs) Kieran Hyman. P.S. Don't cremate me. The Master was cremated that time. In the end of time. (laughs) Not the end of time, last of the time, I'll say. Then we've got... This is where it's getting back at everybody, isn't it? Then we've got Miles Northcott, who uh, has taken pity on me and kept it really brief this week. (laughs) (laughs) He says... Miles and Miles Northcott. Northcott, see? Done it again. Northcott. Ask us. Yeah. He says... Jetachi. Which is Croatian for good morning, boys. Good morning. I even looked up online how to say that. And it didn't tell me, which is why I've just made such a piteously poor job of it. (laughs) He says, so now we know. I'm not sure which is worse, that the master is now female or that JR will be extremely smug because he was right. There you are, see. 
Actually, it must be said that a lot of people had come to the same conclusion, but in most cases this was one theory amongst many, so most of us can say that we were right, but also that we were wrong as well. <coughs> I'd just like to point out, it was 18 months ago when I said the next time we see the Master it will be a woman. Oh, okay. Yeah, Miles, you can't see the smugness here, but you're right, it's, it is terrible. I am not being smug. I've, I've got a lower level smugness. <clears throat> I've, I didn't, I've never thought she was anything other than Master. Dark Water, <laughs> says Miles, is yet another triumph in a season of incredibly high standard stories, mostly. The atmosphere generated throughout was akin to utopia for me, building steadily as the episode went on. Danny's death was handled very sensitively. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I'm going to break in there. Somebody posted a thing online and said, uh, and they. Uh, asked me and I haven't had time to reply to it yet so I'll reply to it on the podcast why not and he just wrote a list of things that he thought didn't work in the episode including how we find out that Danny's dead he was like wouldn't it have made more sense to show him getting hit by the car oh uh, dear oh dear no. oh dear <coughs> of course um, not because you know it's what? a children's television program personal, or a family personal program. experience obviously not quite the same but uh, a family member was attacked by someone and how I found out was literally by ringing their phone and the police put police officer answering. Um, yeah, it's terrifying. It was a brilliant piece of television. It is and brilliant. also it put you entirely into Clara's mind as she finds out. Yeah. That was why it was done like that. But do so, you know what? It was sport for me because I we, I did a radio show, okay, finished at eight, rushed back with Marcus Gill, comedian nerd. And uh, we sat down, and I, he said, "Should we put it on?" It was, it was twenty past eight. I said, "Yeah, but it's five minutes in. I can't do that. I've got, I've got to watch it from the beginning." He goes, "Yes, yeah, so have I." And he, so we quickly flicked through because he was putting on DVD. But it came up with the um, uh, with the um, kind of like the flowers on the side of the road and Danny's picture. Oh. Said, and Danny suddenly, you know, it's Danny's died kind of thing. And I just looked at him. I would have hit him, but I, I'm actually a pacifist. <laughs> But that sport, it's straight. I knew he was going to die before watching it properly the next day, and that was like, oh, that would be such a punch moment for me. But yeah, so that's my own personal experience of that being ruined. But still works the second time. It's brilliant. I'm very sad. Uh, Danny's death was handled very sensitively, says Miles Northcote, and you really felt for Clara's <laughs> loss. And the volcano scene showed us all how much it meant to her, especially following the numbness in her kitchen. I'm just going to oh. button again. The scene where. You get to the end of the volcano bit and Clara thinks the doctor's told her to go to hell. Okay, that was just a little bit... Go to hell was just a little bit writerly. Yeah. But the way the actors played that scene, I thought that was one of the most moving things we've seen in Doctor Absolutely. Who. Absolutely. Absolutely. Believable. Very believable. Yeah. And when Even... he says, why would I not help you? Oh, I just... It was very moving. Yeah. But the, you know, the, the kind of grief scene in the kitchen... Um, was just so well played. Mm. Makes you wonder whether she's gone through that already and just kind of drew upon well, it. Yeah, and even, even, even the... like life's played some massive yeah. trick on her. Yeah, even oh. the Wonga.com lady didn't spoil it for me. Look around. It also showed the Doctor how deeply she felt and the way he dealt with it was marvellous and showed the softer side of his character which we badly need to see every now and again to keep mm. the character likeable. Mm. 
The big shame, says Miles, with Dark Water wasn't the revelation about Missy, though. It was that the promotion for the story from before the season started gave away the Cybermen's involvement. So as soon as we saw the skeletons, it was obvious what they really were. I mean, we've explained that. There's no way they could not. Having said that, he says, the idea of the Dark Water was brilliant, and as the tanks drained away, the Cybermen gradually appeared and then just stood there. It was fantastic. Having the tanks stacked the way they were was very Tomb of the Cybermen as well. I'm not quite sure how they all fitted into St. Paul's, but I suspect there will be some Gallifreyan technology involved somehow. Was there a, was the practicality of the Dark Water explained as to why they were in Dark? Was it kind of to... It was for the I mean, same it's, it's, reason it's that cool the idea. Master was dressed up as Khalid in those first two episodes of Time Flight. Right. It was so that the audience <laughs> had something chilling to look forward to. Okay, alright. As always, says Miles, Peter and Jenna were absolutely on it, with Peter in particular totally selling it. But this time we had Michelle Gomez joining them and Samuel Anderson and Chris Addison providing fine support. We were back on track with the sparkling dialogue from earlier in the season too. How do you do that with your eyes? It's like they inflate. (laughs) I don't need mopey. It puts years on your face. And handled so very, very well too. Always fitting the characters and the mood. It looks very much to me like Clara will either sacrifice herself to join Danny. Hope not. Oh my God. That line where... She wants to sacrifice herself. Mm. She wants to kill herself to go and be with Danny, wherever Danny is. Yeah. And he keeps telling her, I love her, instead of proving that it's him. And she says to him, you say, I love you one more time, and I'm going to turn this thing off. And he realises, and you see it on his face, that if he does that, that's the thing that'll save her from sacrificing herself mm. to be with him. Yeah. What a brilliant, brilliant moment. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. Again. Clara would either sacrifice herself to join Danny, possibly taking over as gatekeeper, or that the Doctor will find a way to download Danny's soul into his revived body. Great storytelling either way. Keeping with the darker side of the show we've had this season is the idea that when you die, only your body dies and the mind remains conscious and still feels what happens. The Please Don't Cremate Me recording was utterly chilling and the associated screams we heard throughout merely reinforced the even more terrible side of death. I hope the next week we learn more about the Missy Stroke Master side of things. Ideally, that either the transformation was brought about artificially, or that, if natural, that it is something very rare in Time Lords. Otherwise, it will contri- otherwise it will contradict everything we have previously seen. The Master, the Doctor, the Rani, Drax, Romana, Barusa, River, etc., always stayed the same sex. He means the same gender. And unless the person regenerating has a choice in how things transpire, then making it commonplace won't seem right. Don't get me wrong. Whilst I would prefer not to head down this road, I am not totally averse to it if it is done well and is for the good of the series, and most of all if it makes good dramatic sense rather than merely merely doing it as a novelty. Mm, Second that. Well, we've already covered all that, haven't we? (laughs) For about half an hour, I think. Yeah. So, despite the obviously slightly uncomfortable side of things, I'm happily giving this a very solid 9 out of 10 and can't wait till next week. Although tinged with an air of sadness that it's the end of the fantastic first season for the Capaldi era. Still, just six and a half weeks after that till the Christmas episode. Yay! Catch you earlier, M. Right. (coughs) Finally, we've got uh, one more email. And then, oh, we should score the episode. 
we should. We'll score the episode and then we'll do the last email. Simon, you go first this time. I haven't enthused as much as I wanted to. Can I just say that? Enthuse a bit more. I'm going to enthuse with a big, massive 10. 10 out of 10. Honestly, I just thought it was just a fantastic 45 minutes of television. Well, I, before we get to Lee, because people already know my score if they've read the review, they'll see that I've given it a nine, but I'm revising it downwards to a... No, I'm not. Ah. It was brilliant. <laughs> the only reason I gave it a nine is because we've not had the second part yet. Yeah. So I find it hard to give it a ten. Yeah. But anyway, Lee... I was going to give it a nine. Were you? Um, you were going to give it a nine. I was going to give it a nine. Um, no, I will give it a nine. It's not quite a 10. It's almost a 10. Mm. And I think it's because the uh, Cybermen are all different sizes and they do walk a bit funny. <laughs> no, it's going to yeah. be a 9. Um, simply for the same reason, I think. I'll wait for <clears> next <throat> week. There's a reason why they're different sizes. <clears throat> They've all got different sized skeletons inside them. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you just said it was like it was a problem. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, all of that. They need to be universal. They all need to be the same. <laughs> Where are the cyber women? They're all you know, Torchwood like, like Towers. Ah, oh, no, no, that's all in Age of Steel, wasn't it? There was a Yvonne Hartman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dear Blue Boxers, last email now, and then we're out of here. Oh, we've not talked about Out of the Unknown yet. No, don't leave that to next time. No, we might have a few words about it. No, maybe not. Looking at that clock, that's not too bad. Dear Blue Boxers, so the master is a girl now. That is very confusing. I had a problem with someone like that once and had to go to a clinic afterwards. I was not happy and I guess the doctor will not be happy either as he got snogged. Do you think the master still has a winky? It's a shame. (laughs) It's a shame as he looks quite hot now. Clara always looks hot. Especially when in a volcano. Although she wasn't there really, which is why she didn't get all sweaty. Shame. I hope that the dead I hope that the dead aren't still aware after they die. Otherwise I will have to try and avoid a couple of girls I once knew when I go. They probably weren't very pleased with me. I was very confused about the trees. Clara looked very sexy in that one though, so I liked it. The missing girl at the end was very pretty too. How old do you think she was? I hope it was old enough. <laughs> I will... I'm just reading these words. Yeah, go on. I'm not approving them. <laughs> Finally, it will be sad when the series finishes next week. I will have to wait until Christmas to see Clara again. At least there is still Strictly and the dancers. Your friend, Sharak Jiz. You read that out like a ten-year-old. <laughs> Was that on purpose? Yeah. <laughs> All right, emails all done. <coughs> and Miles got his full compliment this week. He got one at the start and one at the end. And that was not a euphemism. Okay, out of the unknown. Yeah. Well, I've um, been through more of it now. How many How many have been released or how many were, were saved? Right, 20 out of 49 episodes. So that's roughly two-fifths. I don't know. I already talked about it a bit last week. It's one of those series that, for the people who were watching it at the time, it was like Nigel Neal. It was like one of those things, like Equator Mass. It's like one of those things, once you'd seen it, you wouldn't forget it. Mm. It, I've been dipping into it because I've not had time to watch all 20 episodes to write the review. But 
you know, all 20 episodes are completely unrelated. It's complete anthology series, so there's no carry through. It's just a series <clears throat> of it's a series of short individual films, each of about 50 or 60 minutes long. And because they're all based, or well, not all of them, but most of them are based on pre-existing novels and short stories, you know, you pick the novels and short stories because of the strength of their ideas, right? So what can I say about Out of the Unknown? It's 20 short films across seven discs, and they are all strong stories. Mm -hmm. And if you like science fiction, and if you like, you know, archive television, it is an absolutely must-buy release. It is. And, I mean, the stories that they're based on are, you know, they're huge names. You've mentioned Nigel Neal already. Isaac Asimov is in there as well. And Nigel Neal ones, doesn't it? Nigel Neal's one doesn't exist, sadly. Yeah. Neither does Ray Bradbury's. No. But, you know, you've oh, got... Oh, doesn't it? No, and there's a couple of Isaac Asimov ones that are missing. Caves of Steel is missing. That's the one that I would really like to have seen. But then you've got other ones by the same authors. There's one by Isaac Asimov, The Still. Dead Past, which is a great story. Oh. It's It's about... It's kind of about a time paradox, but the conclusion it comes to at the end isn't the conclusion that you'd be expecting if you'd been watching, say, the Terminator films uh -huh. or something. It goes somewhere else with it. And that's really nice, actually, because it wasn't intended as a pull-the-rug-out-from-under-you moment. But actually, given all the time travel stories we've had since, it actually turns into a pull-the-rug-out-from-under-you moment, <laughs> which means it works on another <laughs> level that it was never intended to. But it's a great story. I think I said last week that the first one, the John Wyndham... First episode in series one, No Place Like Earth. Oh, yeah. It's a good story. It doesn't quite come off on a television budget because right. it's set on Mars and on Venus. Ah, there's not really a lot you can do about that. But they made, they make a decent fist of it and the acting in it is brilliant. Um, <clears throat> oh, the last latest one I've watched was The Machine Stops, mm. which is one of your favourite stories, Lee, so I had to watch that. Yeah, it's my favourite all-time best short story ever in the whole world. And the author, Ian Forster, uh, went on record saying how good the Out of the Unknown adaptation is. Which is impressive, <clears throat> because when you read the story, it's quite, I suppose people term it steampunk now, but it wasn't, of course. It was written a wee while after Jules Verne, 20, 30 years afterwards. In 1909, it was written. Hmm. And uh, it's got pneumatics in it. It's got brass. You know, it's got people living in little kind of cells uh, underneath the earth and they're all connected by the machine or as we like to call it the internet um, and they're all talking to each other on screens there's a massive information that keeps coming in they have to deal with it like the internet basically in 1909 this person's predicted tv's internet you know to the kind of like the way that we may be living in the future where we isolate ourselves away from humanity and the machine lies it changes things it, alternates history uh, not alternates it alters history rather for you know because it can like say in america people are making films and they change the history and people believe that history so this is like the most incredible short story it's got some fun parts to it where you know they go in airships and travel across the world so you know that that's kind of like typical of its time but generally speaking as a piece of kind of prophetic sci-fi it's unbelievably good and it's all there in Out of the Unknown. It's really good. There's a good version of it. <clears throat> I love it. The only other thing I'd uh, say about it before we go is that it's been... Re I, when they originally announced the set, I don't think there were any plans for extras. 
I don't think there was any plans for restoration beyond what was necessary. <clears throat> and then people at the restoration team got in touch with them and said, look, don't do that. Do it our way, please. So they came up with some budget to do some extras. So there's reconstructions of four episodes for which soundtracks oh. existed. Oh, right. Um, I didn't get disc six, where two of them are, but of the two that were on disc five, one of them's just from Publicity Stills, and the other one's from Publicity Stills and Telesnaps. Okay. And they were done by Derek Handley, who did the Loose Cannon recons. Mm. So um, they also got just a little bit of CGI to help things along. But, I mean, if you know Derek Handley's recons from... Loose cannon, you'll know what he's capable of. So uh, don't expect that, but do expect him to have good, done a good job on it. Mm. There's a documentary which is well worth a watch, which, mm, given how long ago the series was, doesn't have a great pool of people to pull from. But I mean, it's got Peter Crugine, it's got Michael Ferguson, who directed some of the most um, well remembered in directorial terms, 70s episodes mm. of Doctor and a bunch of other people as well. It's got... Um... It's time to stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's got... It's got... Um... Oh, God, Michael Chadbon from City of Death, wow. who plays the leads yeah. in one of the stories. And it's a great documentary. And Peter Crocker has restored them all. They look nice and crisp. Not all of them quite as crisp as others because obviously these are all 50-year-old recordings so, you know, he had to work with what he could. He didn't have time to vidfire them, <clears throat> which actually right. suits yeah. them better because they look more like films yeah. than they do like television. Yeah. So actually, when you get the set, it looks a little bit more like films than old Doctor Who DVDs generally do, mm. which is nice. I actually like that. Was 1984 part of this series? No, that was a separate thing. Was that a separate thing? Okay. Because <clears throat> that's also very good. Do you think there's room for a series like this now? Definitely. I have to... yeah, I, I don't so. think you could afford to do it nowadays because the expectations on the... This was BBC Two. It was done on a normal television budget. Yeah. I think if you... There was an American series called Masters of Science Fiction. Mm. And I think... I can't remember too much about it, but they did have some known authors with short stories, and they 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 did have a kind of a budget. It was only like having somebody in a boardroom, and behind you'd have a piece of CGI, and there's some kind of buildings and flying things going around. But it was all in the story. It was all about the story. If you chose it was, stories it wasn't bad. very carefully, wasn't bad. but the trouble these days is the rights to get those stories. Would I was going to say financially, it's terribly <coughs> expensive, complicated, yeah. and you'd probably take a real hit on the DVDs if you were even able to put out DVDs because of those rights mm. and to make stories of this kind in the modern day and age would be prohibitively expensive because unlike Doctor Who where you can do something that's fairly anthological in nature but get away with it because you have a cast going through all the episodes whose stories people are following with something like this nowadays you wouldn't necessarily find an audience for it people would drift to and fro you know if it was on BBC Two at nine o'clock, mm. it would probably get like a third of what Doctor Who gets. It is a shame, though, isn't it? Like that. I mean, if you chose stories carefully, yeah. you could perhaps... It, you know, horror anthologies happen now and again, don't they? they yeah, horror is so much cheaper to do than science fiction now. Yeah, I suppose it is, yeah. yeah. In fact, 
horror actually benefits from having low budgets. But I mean, there's like, there's for instance, there's a story. I've got, I won't go on too long because I could go on forever. But there is a story. I think it's by Ray Bradbury called Bird on a Wire. Um, yeah, and it's about the last man on Mars, and he gets a phone, <coughs> he gets a phone call, <coughs> and you know, it's just a, already you just think that's a really good idea. You know, where's the phone call coming from? Well, but and it doesn't. There's not a lot to it. But it, and it's all about atmosphere, and it's all about paranoia and fear, and being the last person in the world, and uh, it, you know it's all about his journey of trying to find his person. And actually, it's a very short and very simple story with not a lot to it. But it, you could play it out for at least twenty minutes or fifteen minutes, and maybe do, you know. I don't think you could play Frederick Brown's short story Knockout for twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that, haven't we? Yeah. The last man on earth was alone in a room. There was a knock on the door. And that's it. That's the short story. <laughs> right. And on that note, uh, we should get out of here and, well, until next time then, I was JR. I was Lee. And I was Simon. And we will speak again soon. Don't cremate me. And we will speak again soon. Don't cremate me. Ah, I got the pause now so that I can edit it off.